Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. It's dispiriting, isn't it? If you're thinking about applying for insurance and you see it's not uncommon as some insurers state no coverage or benefits for pre-existing conditions that the person insured is reasonably aware of. Question is, what counts as things you should reasonably be aware of by way of pre-existing conditions? Are there insurers that cater to those with pre-existing conditions? What are your choices? Because a pre-existing condition shouldn't deter you from getting yourself protected when it comes to insurance. And we're going to help you do that on today's show with Elijah Lee, Senior Financial Services Manager from Philips Security. Securities. Good morning, Elijah. Hello, Loud morning. and clear. Okay, fantastic. All right, Welcome. <laughs> All right. We were talking last time about personal uh, integrated shield plans. And yep. our last topic was really about the choice you have between using your personal IP or your corporate insurance. To what extent do you really have choice in that regard as to which should be used first? Today, yes. we're going into pre-existing conditions because we didn't quite have time to get into that. And I want yes. to start at the very beginning. Help us understand how insurers define pre-existing conditions. Okay, so for a pre-existing condition, and this one I quote, okay, so basically it would be any condition or illness, and I'm just reading off one of the insurance quotations because I knew you were going to ask this. <laughs> uh, so it's defined, okay, as any condition or illness which existed or was existing or which the cause or symptoms were existed or were existing or evident, okay, uh, before you applied for the policy. So in short, Okay, if, if I were to uh, make that in a, to, to rephrase it in an easier way to understand, it's basically something that you already have either experienced symptoms for or you should be aware that there, you know, there's something going on already before you apply, whether or not uh, a doctor has actually formally diagnosed you. So that's really what it means. So for example, uh, if you were experiencing, say, some um, knee pain, Okay, and you haven't seen a doctor yet. Okay, uh, and it's something that you know isn't. Okay, sometimes we wake up and like like maybe there's a little bit of pain, and then you, it gets better throughout the day. That's fine. But if it's something persistent, and you have put off seeing a doctor, it's still a pre-existing condition. You know, so you got to declare such things when you are applying, and ultimately let the underwriter assess. Because during the underwriting process, okay, this will be based off underwriting guidelines from the insurer, of which, of course, we're not privy to. Uh, the key thing is that, you know, for example, a knee pain could be symptoms of something more serious like uh, knee cap wearing out or things like that. And it might warrant a further investigation, even if you've not done that investigation. So, uh, in general, anything that isn't uh, as light, as now as a simple cough and cold or flu, you know, we don't have to declare that, say, I, I had a mouth fever and I recovered last year. You know, that, that, that kind of thing is really uh, none, uh, rather acute, you know, one-off. But we're looking at chronic stuff. We're looking at things that uh, may seem to be indicators of something more severe. So that's really where pre-existing conditions, there's always that clause, as you mentioned, that pre-existing yeah. conditions have to be declared. And we, the insurers are really looking in general at things like this. So the one advice I would have is mm. that if you are not sure, okay, first thing, of course, check with your insurance advisor, check with your financial advisor at the part application. Uh, I would say a computer advisor would reasonably know whether something will be considered pre-existing. So, for example, you told me that, oh, um, I, I had a cough and cold last week and I'm now applying for this. 
Mm-hmm. No, it's a pre-existing. If you fully recover, it's a it's a typical cough and cold. That's not what I'll consider pre-existing. However, he uh, okay, I'll call one recent example. Uh, this lady who started experiencing shoulder pains in um, June, mm-hmm. right? And then we did her coverage up in July. Mm-hmm. However, the pain is something that she uh, eventually uh, said that I would like to see a doctor for. So you know that's that's something not that's no longer uh, simple, and she's been scheduled for MRI. So uh, that's really something you can see that, you know, it's something that eventually leads to a chain of investigations. And, and definitely, at the point of application, I told her to declare that. So in this particular example, uh, the insurer said, okay, then, you know, uh, since she has a now formally an MRI schedule, we will wait for the MRI results. It could be nothing serious, right? And, and in fact, I hope it's nothing serious for her. It's just that insurers do not like to proceed with an underwriting outcome if things are inconclusive. And I think that's something that, uh, the public should bear in mind. So to what extent would your coming, you know, being very open and honest and saying, listen, I have had the shoulder pain and yep. I haven't known why I, I could be a tendon, it comes and goes. I, yep. I saw a doctor once, they gave me Panadol and didn't come back, but you disclosed it. I've had shoulder pain. Uh, to what extent would such disclosure influence your ability to get insured? Okay, so usually you disclose such things. Um, they will There will probably be further clarifications that insurer will ask. So this could be at the part application. There are some insurers whereby their e-system, you declare something, then they come up with a list of questions that you have to answer. So oh. it could be, they, they might ask you like, for example, how many episodes of this shoulder pain you have had? You know, have you been checked out by a doctor? Have you been fully cleared off? You know, it's, it's, it's something that a doctor say, okay, you're fine. You know, uh, or if you were, let's say, doing a manual application, then they, you could have few in shoulder pain, you write a few details, they may come back to you and say, here's an additional form for you to fill. The key, I would say, is disclosure. If you disclose, okay, then it's now on the insurer to determine uh, if your the information you disclose would ultimately lead to any exclusion or loading or if it's within the acceptable range of tolerance for their underwriting. And if it is, then of course, you've gotten yourself a, a clean acceptance. So, uh, example, okay, here's another example. This one is quite common in Singapore. Okay. okay, cholesterol. Cholesterol is really a problem in Singapore. Uh, I think a lot of my young clients, and I'm talking about like 30s and below, mm-hmm. so they actually already have um, like elevated cholesterol levels. Mm-hmm. Now, um, elevated cholesterol is usually something that you would declare. However, in my experience, and I'm not speaking as, uh, this, this is not to be taken as advice, but in my experience, slightly elevated cholesterol has not had has not led to any issues uh, when taken in isolation. So if it's only that slightly elevated cholesterol, you know, you you probably be fine, even if you're applying for, say, critical illness. Uh, however, for example, if you are really having very high cholesterol to the extent that you're taking medication, you will definitely have to declare this because it's a uh, long-term medication and you might even have to provide, say, cholesterol test results depending on the underwriting, after which the insurers will make an assessment. Then again, I have also seen cases where uh, people have been on medications for cholesterol and they are actually still getting their standard acceptance because their cholesterol was well-controlled with the medication. So ultimately... It's about disclosure. Mm. Uh, I think we are definitely not in a position to understand the underwriting guidelines or even know about underwriting tolerance or guidelines, let alone the reinsurer's underwriting guidelines. So disclose, okay, uh, as long as you feel that it's something that, you know, it relates to your health, it's not a one-off thing that cough and cold this kind of things and let the insurer decide what 
uh, the underwriting outcome will be. So our basic healthcare insurance, MediShield Life, does cover yep. several pre-existing conditions. That's right. Uh, MOH lists them, actually. Uh, yes. Things from psychiatric conditions, you know, schizophrenia, yep. for example, or even liver disease, uh, alcoholic liver disease, ALD. Mm, when it comes to private insurers, though, is it yep. possible to yep. obtain insurance when you have uh, a pre-existing condition? Okay, so if you're talking about hospitalization plans, okay, going back to what you stated at the start, Managed Life, yes, they do cover pre-existing. Uh, however, when it comes to applying for private uh, medic, uh, hospitalization insurance, you definitely have to declare. And my experience is most of the time, either you get accepted or you're excluded or you're declined. There is no loading. So at least I've not seen any yet. So if you already have pre-existing condition, uh, there's no harm just to apply. Okay, I okay. I just had a case as well. Okay, uh, I had this lady. She uh, was actually on um, the older uh, plan before MediShield Life, and she actually hadn't upgraded for years. So she approached me and said, "Can I upgrade to the ones that are integrated with MediShield Life?" I said, "No problem. Let's just take a look at this." And she told me, "Look, I also have this uh, condition which did not exist uh, when I was um, when I applied for my old plan." Right. So so we applied to upgrade her old plan with in the same insurer to the new plan. And uh, actually, unfortunately, she got rejected, declined outright, uh, that the decline letter just came in uh, uh, last uh, early last week. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, fortunately, she can still fall back to two things. First thing, of course, is MediShield Life, which will definitely cover pre-existing. And the second thing is that her original shoe plan, which is not comprehensive, but is still a step up for MediShield Life, mm-hmm. that was issued with no exclusions. So she can still fall back to that. So I would say when it comes to pre-existing, you definitely still have to declare. Uh, and frankly, shield underwriting is probably the strictest out of all classes of underwriting. And it wouldn't surprise me if a decline was issued due to, say, unknown underlying causes or too many pre-existing conditions. If not, uh, likely you see a uh, exclusion outright. But many shoe life portion of uh, your hospital bill, that part used to be covered. So no harm to apply. What's the worst that can happen? You get rejected. Not, not the best for anyone, but you still have additional like to fall back on. So besides integrated shield plans, let's say you have yes. a critical illness plan and you bought it yep. because it was affordable, but it renews every year. And then, you know, things change, right? Yes. So during the year you've, that you've been covered by the plan, you find out, oh, I have high cholesterol. Do you then have to declare it so that it automatically renews? Or does it renew based on, you know, whatever you declared before you signed up for the plan? Okay, let's let's talk about integrated shield plans. Actually, those renew every year. Uh, however, okay, you are they are expected to continue coverage at the the terms at the initial power issue, okay. even at renewal. If even if something else discovered later on. Mm. Now, for critical illness plans, most of them are issued based on say a duration. So you could, for example, buy a whole life critical illness plan. Now, if you were uh, issued the coverage extended terms, that's it. You are covered, you know, assuming proper disclosure, of course. Now, if you're talking about those renewable critical illness plans, some of them renew, say, every five years or ten years. Now, uh, this will depend on the policy wording. Uh, usually, however, renewable critical illness plans, like those that renew every five years, if you were issued extended, uh, when you renew at year six, your coverage would typically be still based on your initial issuance. It's just that your premium step up by quite a fair bit because it's a renewal based on your age which has gone up. So unless otherwise stated in the T and C, so you really have to refer to individual priority and C's, if your 
policy is issued for CF plan, typically, even if it's a renewable one, you still get coverage extended, even if something develops later on. Now, the ones that uh, I, I've seen before, accident plans, whereby if you are, accident plans are issued every, uh, are renewable. So, uh, that, I've actually seen accident plan whereby if you have a pre-existing condition that has actually, uh, not say pre-existing, a condition that has occurred and then at your next renewal, you're supposed to make it known to the insurer. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people forget about that. So that is still a problem, I feel. <laughs> yeah. Because who remembers, right? Yeah. And in fact, while we're on this topic of informing the insurer, yeah. uh, a lot of people also forget to update the address when they shift. Don't do that. <laughs> they, don't, they don't update the insurer. Uh, I'm also guilty of that. I shifted and, uh, <laughs> and my insurer sent the letter to my old place. So... I was like, oh, I haven't updated the insurer. Because oh. it's one of those things that you don't really think about, do you? You update like the authorities, you update actually, you forget to update your insurer. Ah, yeah. yes, yes. That's a yes. good point. Very good yeah, point to happened, keep in mind. Yeah, to me. <laughs> happened to you. Yes. You're the expert. I want to yeah. talk a little bit about what we can do if we feel that, okay, I had a pre-existing condition, I declared it, mm. and then I got rejected. What can I do then? I mean, is there a okay. process to appeal? So we're talking about being rejected uh, before the, the uh, by the policy during the application. You can appeal. I've mm. done appeals before. Okay. Uh, it's not a guarantee that it will go through. Um, I've done successful appeals. I'll give an example. In 2019, I was working with this young man. He used to play um, basketball. So it's a very specific incident. That's why I remember it very well. He used to play basketball and he was quite prone to shoulder dislocations. So uh, he actually got rejected. Or rather, not say rejected. He got excluded for shoulder-related stuff, including TPD. And um, I asked him, look, uh, we've got this exclusion now. Um let me ask you, are you still playing basketball? He was like, no, it's just during a DC period and then I had these this locations. So I uh, I asked him to ban this now in black and white and uh, we sent this um, appeal into the insurer and after some consideration and a little bit of bargaining from my part, uh, we actually got him clean acceptance. And uh, of course, he really doesn't play basketball anymore. He's working, he has no time. So <laughs> I think there was one case where the appeal actually worked. Uh, uh, of course, on the other side of the coin, I have also seen appeals that no matter how I argue with the insurer, they stand by their guidelines and they tell me, I'm sorry, we really cannot consider this. In which case, um, I would say then we, we just have to see whether other insurers can offer something better. Mm-hmm. Or if all insurers are offering the same rejections, then we look for the insurer that probably has the best, say, coverage or premium, you know, rejections aside. Lah. So yes, appeal is something that can be done. There's no guarantee of success. However, it is still better than not trying to appeal. Elijah yeah. Lee is my guest, Senior Financial Services Manager from Philips Securities. And we're talking about pre-existing conditions and why they shouldn't deter you from getting yourself protected and some of the options that you want to think through if you do have a pre-existing condition. There's a whole lot of insurance plans out there, right? Integrated yes. shield plans, life insurance, critical illness, cancer, diabetes insurance, travel insurance. Um, there will be a plan that can cover you, hopefully. Uh, yep. And you want an advisor, I think, who has a sense of the whole landscape that can offer you, a, you know, a, a, an idea of your alternatives. I think that's always yep. useful. Um, you wanted to add something? Before we, we, we wrap up the show, okay, let me just say something. Even if someone is uninsurable, there's still self-insurance. And there are ways to get around that. I've seen Self-insurance, did you say? Self-insurance. What's that? S-E-L-F, where you prepare what I call a, a fund to for the event that you really need money when something bad happens. You can self-insure. That is the You're last talking resort. about like an in, in ILP? 
No, not ILP. Uh, ILP market values fluctuate and, and I don't recommend that because when you need the money, you need the money. Yeah. Regardless of the market condition. Uh, we, there, there are strategies. Uh, I, I don't think there might be enough time to go into everything about that. But yes, you can self-insure because I have uninsurable clients. So I know. I've built a self-insurance fund for them. Uh, you know, not the best option, of course. Uh, I'd rather they just get insured. However, no insurer wanted to take them. So is totally. that like a forced savings it's a cost savings, okay. but it, okay, I, I actually use an endowment to build this home insurance fund, but it's a very specific time and a, a very specific strategy, mm. which can be done. Uh, it's can just that done. probably the exact details, I don't think we have time. Fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to do a whole show with you on this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no problem. We, 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 we will talk about that in the future. Uh, you asked me whether I want to add something. Um, I think you're talking about the recent news. I wait, wait, no, I'm going to, oh. I'm going to, intri- I want to, I wanted to see if you wanted to add anything to our discussion. Oh, okay, so, but yeah, I, I, you're talking about pre-existing, mm-hmm. yes, even if you can't get coverage, you can self-insure. Okay. The last result. There are, pla- there are things that can be done for you. All right, now let's talk yes. about money owl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's been, bu- it's buzzed. It's buzzed yes. for the insurance whole landscape for you guys yeah. who are professionals and for us clients wondering what this means for us. I'm going to give a listener a bit of backdrop, okay? So Money Owl uh, was set up by NTUC Enterprise Cooperative back in 2018. They are a financial advisory firm and what was unique about them is unlike many other uh, traditional financial advisory firms, Money Owl's um, approach featured salaried financial advisors. So they were paid. Yes. Uh, they were not motivated by commissions. That was the assumption. Yep. And unfortunately, Money Owl um, has winded down. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, the decision came after a review that was jointly conducted by Money Owl and its shareholder NTUC Enterprise that concluded the business was not commercially viable. So I guess the big question is, what does this mean for clients? Okay, the good news, if you ask me, is that, of course, uh, there were were steps taken to meet to... uh, uh, transfer the clients over to another platform where they could continue with their uh, investment portfolios, their coverage portfolios. I do think, however, that if because ultimately financial advisory is a relationship business, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it may seem as sales, because you would only accept advice from someone you trust. Yep. So trust has to be there. And if you're just going to be transferred to an unknown advisor for another firm, there's no trust. It takes very long to review that trust. And in fact, trust has been broken with the first advisor. So um, I, I just feel that, um, okay, administratively, clients still have someone to turn to. However, they are going to, have to find someone that they want to talk to and that's a, a different ballgame altogether. Mm. Yeah. So you're worried about whether or not the financial planning services for these clients will continue because yes. people have to rebuild trust with, with new advisors. Yes, I, I will say one thing that I, I've been in this uh, industry for seven years now and uh, my clients who, who, I mean, there are clients who, of course, you know, we can't vibe if you are pretty in that, that millennial lingo, we can't vibe. So I can't really connect with them, but the ones who connect with them, they come back to me a few years apart, update me on the situation, ask me their things to do. That's that trust built there. And I, I think that's very important because financial advisory can doesn't have to mean a sale. I've, I've given ad hoc uh, pro bono advice to clients who, who've actually like found themselves in a sticky situation and, and they have to involve a sale and, and like, okay, like example, um, I had this lady who had budgeting issues and, and I told her, look, you go and do this, this, this and, and you come back to me in three months and we see if it works out. There was no sale involved but she came back to me in three months a lot happier saying that your advice has helped me to rebuild, restructure my finances and to me, that's the heart of financial advisory. One thing to do good by the client. Right. So, so 
I think that trusting is, is one very important factor that a lot of people may not think about. It's a very intangible factor, I would say. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. That's great to hear about that relationship that you build and your approach to, to building that. Uh, when it yes. comes to inf- in the investment, the insurance segment, so on Money Owl, you could get someone to help you write a will, for example. Yes. Uh, you could buy some investment products. So yes. the investment and insurance segments, I understand, will be transferred to IFAS uh, Financial. Correct. And yes. um, uh, so existing clients, therefore, of Money Owl, now can have their investment portfolios managed digitally because IFAS has, has this global markets platform, Correct. right? Do you think yes. for some clients, it's just all about the charges? If there's no changes to the fee structure, they're going to be fine. Yeah, I will say some clients to them is about the charges. Uh, I adopt a different view on this. I will say that it's more of what you get for the fee you pay. Mm. You know, if, if you are getting a low fee, well, that's great. Uh, if that doesn't lead to uh, anything spectacular, then, you know, maybe you're still okay with that. However, if there are a little bit higher fees, for example, you would, are you getting value out of the, the, the fee, you know? And and I think that's uh, that's where the clients you mentioned uh, probably don't find that uh, valuable because their goal is low fee and they're okay with getting, like, um, okay advice, you know, so, uh, at, at their level. But there will always be clients who demand a little bit more, they want a bit more, and it's on us to deliver that value for them, whether it's in professional advice, computer advice, or even, say, um, um, slightly better uh, returns on their investments. Now, um, I would just think that uh, ultimately, financial advisory is a human thing. There, there's a reason why people still want to talk to people like how I'm talking to you over the show right there now. There is a reason. We, we still want to hear people <laughs> talk, right? Uh, there's a reason why people, you know, chat box, well, well chat bots are probably good for like uh, simple things like help me reset my password. If you run into something a little more complex, a little more sticky, you still want to talk to a human. It drives me you nuts, those chat bots, because yeah, the, the level of complexity they can deal with is still, you know, like, Talking to a primary six-year-old. Yeah. Even with OpenAI, I feel like there is still um, a place for humans because ultimately humans can can deal with the intangible aspects. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, the intangible aspects that, that uh, I think no matter how you write AI, at least for now, I, no matter how you program AI, uh, they are still bound by inputs and inputs have parameters which are tangible. For now though, I want to help the clients who've moved over, were with Money Owl. Now they're facing, um, you know, IFAS lists. There, there are six about 60 advisors listed on IFAS global so markets platform yes. that they can choose from. Um, so any advice for them in terms of what to look out for? Well, um, have a word with your new advisor, I guess, and uh, see if there's that um, opportunity to connect and build that relationship. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, as I mentioned, it is a very relationship-based business. And if you can, I mean, congrats, you've probably found an advisor that you will want to continue to work with. That's great. Thank you so much, Elijah, for joining us, letting us pick your brains (laughs) every now and then. Elijah Lee, Senior Financial Services Manager from Philips Securities. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.